Awesome. Good morning, guys. How you doing today? Who, who liked that video? That's just hilarious, man. Um, this, this week, I mean, as, as, since last week, uh, Fontaine started the series um, titled, What Happy Couples Know. I'm just going to throw this question out real quick. How many happy couples do we have here? Hey, that's a good number. That's a, I'm not going to ask the other one. I can't say. I don't know if you're married or not. So, um, But just real quick, um, I know we're talking uh, uh, on a series about uh, couples, people that are married, people that are engaged. And so you might sit there and be like, well, I'm nowhere near that. I'm nowhere near that. I, I'm maybe 15. Or some of you might even say, hey, you know, that I was already there and I'm done with that. Okay? There, we have all sorts of different people in this, in this place this morning. Um, but I want, I want to do something. I don't want you to tune out just because, hey, man, he's going to be talking about uh, couples this, this morning. So I'm just going to tune out and I'll, we'll wait till the series ends. No, everything that we're going to be talking about this morning can be applied because we're going to be talking about relationships. So don't tune out. The most important relationship that we can know is that relationship that God gave us with him through Jesus Christ. And that's going to be the base of not just this morning, but it's going to be the base of the rest of this series. So you don't want to miss out. Just to review from last week, um, we saw Fontaine and he had this box. But before I get to that, um, there's a moment in the majority of our lives, I'd say probably all of our lives, where we have a picture of what uh, a successful relationship should be. I don't know if I'm talking to myself here or not this morning, but um, maybe at some point in my life when I was in my teens, I had a picture of what me being married was going to be like. And the majority of us, that picture is generally something that's awesome, if you had that experience maybe when you were growing up. Um, or we had that picture of something that we, we ourselves wanted to be or that we wanted for our um, marriage life. And relationally speaking, we all have this box, I hope you can see this, of hopes, dreams, is that, is that the order? Hopes, dreams, and, and desires. I don't know if you can see it on the sides because there's a little glare, so if you hadn't seen it there... And we go here. So we all have this, what we call is this box. And that's what we have in us. And inside this box, and you can name whatever it may be for you, but inside this box, we can have, man, when I'm married, I want to have this much money. Or when I'm married, I'm gonna, then I'm going to take the time to budget out my life. Or when I'm married, I'm going to have this wife. I'm going to have this many kids. I mean, I, honestly, I knew I wanted uh, kids, and I knew I wanted uh, a good amount of kids. I never thought I was going to have four kids. But that was in my box. I remember that very clearly. But that box can be filled, and each one of you can, depending on what stage of life you're in, that box can be filled with hopes, dreams, and desires. The problem, or maybe not the problem, but the challenge with this box or with ourselves is that when we daydream about the future, it generally organizes itself around us. It's generally organized completely on my hopes, my dreams, and my desires. Who can hear me this morning? So it's, again, my hopes, my dreams, my desires. So for example, when, when I was single, and I wasn't single that long. Allison and I started dating kind of young. She was definitely younger than me. Um, 
And my mother-in-law's back there saying, yeah, she definitely was. Um, but I was never thinking, to be honest, how I was going to be the perfect husband. I was always thinking, and I know you were there at some point, how is she going to be the perfect wife for me? I was never thinking about or dreaming about finding that perfect someone um, to be that perfect someone for someone else. It's always generally you're trying to find that perfect someone for you. How many of you ever thought that at some point in your life? Um, so when I started going out with Allison, I thought, well, you know, she, she, she is perfect for me. So early on in our relationship, I know and this is the woman or the teenager that I want to marry. <laughs> and um, so when it, came, when it came time to get married, um, after going out for what seemed like forever, um, and um, we did the, lo- the long-distance dating, and, and I'll get to that in a little bit later on, but um, I brought two things to, to the, the day that we got married, to the altar. I brought this box, my hopes, my desires, my dreams, and I also brought her ring. Those were the two little boxes that came. Um, and everything in my box seemed perfectly, perfectly reasonable to me. But here's the deal. She brought her box too. We all bring our box of hopes, dreams, and desires. And everything in her box seemed perfectly reasonable, perfectly reasonable to her. But here's the deal. When we get to this to the, to, to the altar and we're, we're going to get married, we have two different boxes and all of a sudden we start mixing that box or all of a sudden I take my box and I give it to her and she gives me that box to me. And that box weighs differently. There's different stuff in that box. So we're not used to that box. We're not used to carrying that type of weight if you want to consider it that way. So when placed in the hands of someone else, there's the different flavor, the density changes, the weight of the box changes, and all those things that feel like hopes, like hope, dreams, and desires, feels to them like expectations. My hopes, my dreams, my desires don't feel like that to the, some, to the other person. They feel like expectations. So the interesting thing about this is that On this side of the box, again, hopes, dreams, desires. On the other side, completely, and this is, again, all about me. And on the other side, it's complete expectations for the other person. And it's not about them. It's really about what we want for our future. So the the person on the other side is saying, well, because that just feels uh, like a lot of expectation to me, I don't know if I can fit in that. Let's just define the word expectation real quick just so we're on the same page. Expectation is the strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. First year of marriage, I remember telling Allison, um, you know what, I know we aren't there yet. And you can think of any example at some point when you were married. I know we're not there yet, but we just got married, so things are going to get better or things are going to improve. I know that um, financially right now we're not where we want to be, but it's okay. We're going to get there. And it's just a bunch of hopes, dreams, and desires. And at the end of the day, it's a bunch of expectations to her. And it's just that subtle pressure that things are going to be the way I imagine that they're going to be. 
or that you imagine that they're going to be. And it's just subtle. And again, all the expectations are just all about the future. So hear me out. Anytime we attempt to recreate or avoid something from the past, anything we try to recreate or avoid, our hopes, our dreams, our desires become expectations. And that's simply because we want to create what we would say is a preferred future. We might want to recreate something that we saw in the past. Some of us might want to recreate what we saw from our parents' marriage and their relationships. Some of us want to stay as far as possible from what we saw. I don't know where you're at in that. Or maybe something totally different than what we saw in other people that we looked, looked up to or, or, or want to recreate what they did. Either way, as soon as we try to shape the future of a relationship, it begins to feel like expectations to the other person. So when tr- couples trade boxes, and eventually they will, it just happens. Then what happens is that there start, a negotiation starts. There's a bargaining and there's a bribing. And, and what happens is like, well, you know what? As long as you do this, then I'll do that. Or as long as you, you change your attitude, as long as you do this for me, then I'll do that. And it just becomes a, a, a big um, negotiation of if you do that, then I'll, I'll, I'll reconsider. Or we won't fight anymore if you just change this. And what happens is that even when no one is intending it to be this way, then the relationship is characterized, and Fontaine explained this last week, by a debt-debtor relationship. And that debt-debtor relationship simply means we're all we're thinking is you owe it to me. You owe it to me to be this way. You owe it to me to be the right man. You owe it to me to be the right woman. And the woman should do this or be this way. That's what wives are supposed to do in the relationship. That's what he's supposed to do in the relationship. And at the end of the day, it's all about you owe me. And we start negotiating. And again, I'm going to go back to our example because that's who we know most. That's who I know most. Um, first year of marriage, man, it was tough. We brought these boxes and super excited. When we had been dating six or seven years, how long? Six. Again, it felt like eternity. But we, we you know, young kids, had, I had recently graduated from college, and I brought, and I guess, I, I, not I guess, I wish someone would have explained this to me back then. And I don't know if they did. They might have, and I just, you know, right over my head. But we brought our own boxes, and those boxes, those hopes and dreams and desires, they just started crashing because I know for sure, and we talk about this all the time, she had a whole idea of what marriage was going to be like, and I had an idea of what marriage was going to be like, and when we actually got married, it was not like that at all. How many of you know what I'm talking about here? And that can be the first year, that can be year five, year 10, year 20, I don't know. But it's definitely not what I thought it would be. And I know for sure it's definitely not what she thought it was going to be. And the problem is that when you get into this dynamic of you owe me, the dynamic characterizes the relationship. What happens is that you can no longer recognize love. Because it's more of a, 
If you give, then I'll take. If not, then nothing happens. And you can't give love and you can't receive love because you can't appreciate it and you can't even recognize it. And this dynamic makes it impossible to recognize or receive love. And let's just see it this way. Let's say, for example, someone owes me money. Let's just say 100, 100 Q. Someone owes me money and they come up to me and they, they give me the 100 and they say, hey man, I just want to thank you so much for all that you do and you're a great guy, so here's 100 Q. And I'm like, wait, you're not just gifting this to me. You owe me money. That doesn't count. And even worse, what if it's more than 100Q and he's only giving me 100? My first reaction is going to be like, oh, thank you so much. It's like, where's the rest of it? And so what happens there is that when you are in this type of relationship, you owe me, the gratitude is minimal. Because all you're expecting is Man, if, if, if they do this, then I'm going to do that. Or they owe me this, so you know what? I'm going to give that person the cold shoulder because they're not, you know, abiding by their end or my expectation. So how do we keep this from happening? How do we keep legitimate hopes, dreams, and desires from becoming expectations? And we, what we do is we embrace what the happy couple, again, this is the series we're in, what happy couples know. We embrace the Embrace what happy couple answer to the following question. And that question is, what does he owe me and what does she owe me? And here's the key. Happy couples will answer nothing. They don't owe me anything. You are not owed anything. Happy couples know that they owe each other everything but are owed nothing in return. Let me repeat that just so you get that. Happy couples know that they owe each other everything, but are owed nothing in return. And yes, it makes no sense. In the world that we live in today, in our physical nature and how we work, it makes absolutely no sense. But this is the essence of what a Christian marriage is all about. A Christian marriage is not a marriage that is conducted according to some sort of uh, code of conduct, a Christian code of conduct. This is not what a Christian marriage is. In fact, great marriages are not built on codes of conduct. If you're engaged dating somebody or walking to the altar and you're trying to get, get them to act a certain way, you're trying to get them to be a certain way, or behave correctly, you're headed for trouble. And this is where I can give you just an example because I know when I got married, I was extremely immature. Now, I'm not saying I've reached maturity yet, but I'm definitely more mature than I was then. And I know that my thoughts were, okay, as soon as I get married, then we're going to get this together, and I'm going I'm, I'm to mature, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to change things that need to be changed. And in that first couple of years, there was a lot of things that weren't changing. I wasn't maturing. And I thought, and my wife thought, well, well, if I do these certain things, this certain code of conduct, what I've learned my whole life, what a Christian should do, then then things will get better and then things will actually line up as they should be. But it wasn't happening. And the reason is because great relationships are not built on specific 
codes of conduct. And they're not even built on specific roles. They're not built on an exchange of services. For example, you do this and I'll do that. Great marriages are not built on that. A Christian marriage is a submission competition. I want you to read that with me. A Christian marriage is a submission competition. I love to compete. Okay? That's my nature. I don't know if I coach soccer, I play. I'm just recently, I don't know if anyone follows my wife on Instagram. Just recently, she posted this video, and I just, I didn't even plan this out, but I just remember this right now. She posted this video. We were um, on vacation for Semana Santa, and my kids were riding bikes around this little park. And um, I had this, I don't even know what it's called. What do you call those when you're just standing and then you push on a little scooter? Yes, a scooter, but, and yeah, a scooter. Anyway, my wife posted this because we're like, the kids are like, let's race. And I know the majority of dads here, or that I know, would let their kids win. That is not me, okay? They had a bike, and I went around that park as fast as I could, because I don't know. That's just my nature. I compete. I compete. Now, let's bring it back to marriage. A Christian marriage is a submission competition. Now, I didn't sign up for that. I'd love to compete. That is not one of those things that my nature says... I need to compete to submit myself. A Christian marriage is a submission competition, a race to the back or the end of the line. I don't know if you're writing this or not, but just remember that. It's a race to the back or end of the line. So instead of bargaining and negotiating in your relationship, there's a sense of he doesn't owe me anything, she doesn't owe me anything, but I feel like I owe her everything. Now let me explain where this comes from. And I'm trying to go as quick as possible here. But before Jesus was crucified, he gathered all the disciples. He gathered the boys and he huddled them up. And he said, here's a few things I want you to remember. And what he said was, I have a new command. Jesus tells them that he's going to give them a brand new command, which if you want to just go back in time with me real quick, This probably would have been offensive to them because they're like, wait, a brand new command? These Jewish boys were used to, had grown up and and what it was, what the law was. And probably if they they would have just normally just gotten up and left and said, there's something wrong here. Because at that time in culture, only God could give new laws and God had already given the laws through Moses, if you remember that. You don't make new laws up. So just read with me in John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. And I want to leave it there. Just a new command I give you, love one another. We won't go on to the next part just yet. To which they would have responded right then and there. That's not new. We already know that. Love one another? Okay, what's next? And Jesus would have said, hey, I'm not through. Then he says, I have loved you, so you must love one another. And this is such a big moment because Jews, uh, Jesus says, I'm reducing all of the Jewish laws, the 600 plus Jewish laws. He reduced them to two and now reduces it to one. That at the end of the day, these are the new marching orders. These are the new rules, the new rules of engagement. 
And these are the new rules for engagement in relationships. You are to treat others the way I have treated you. And he could have gone around the room and mentioned each one of them by name. Okay, he could have said, listen, you remember where I took, when I, when I brought you in to my team? Remember where you were? Remember who you were? Remember what you were doing? Remember that your background? Remember that you, you, how hated and despised you were maybe? Remember that you were just a nobody. And Jesus could have gone around the room and said that to them. But he just reminded them that no matter where they were in the walk of life, he loved them and he forgave them. Each one of them. And how they had now seen what real love was when he brought the tax collectors, prostitutes, and the worst of the worst. And that changed everything because he brought them to where he was or he went to where they were, where they were. And, and, and they saw with their own eyes that he had loved them. And how a few hours later, he would then be arrested, and then a few days, and then beaten, and then crucified, and shown them how he would give his life on our behalf. And that's why this is called the law of Christ, or the platinum rule. So if you remember, the golden rule is treat people the way that you want to be treated. That's the golden rule. Treat people the way you want to be treated. But here, he takes it a whole step up. The platinum rule. Treat people the way that God in Christ treated you. And that's the only command that we need. So let's just make this really simple, what I'm trying to tell you here. If, you, if you're not sure what to say or do, love like God through Christ loved you. And I think we have that slide. If you're not sure what to say or do, love like God through Christ loved you. That simple sentence there is a complete game changer. Love like God through Christ loved you. And if you can keep that at the top of your mind when in a relationship, whether it be a marriage, whether it be someone that you're dating, whether it be with your mom or dad or your friends, when you're not sure what to do, when you have been hurt, when you have been talked bad about, talked behind your back. Love like God through Christ loved you. This is the big one. That's the new marching orders. Every single New Testament imperative after the resurrection, every single New Testament imperative after the, the resurrection plays off this big idea as I've loved you, so you are to love other people. And a few, a few years later, this guy Paul, you might know him as the Apostle Paul, who hated Christians, okay? We remember this story. Apostle Paul, he, he, before he was Apostle, he, he hated Christians. And not only hated them, but he tortured them and he killed them. And he did that as a job. But then something amazing happens. He goes on and to, becomes a Jesus follower. And what a contrast that is. And when he does this, his life is completely transformed. And he takes this big idea of love others the way that God, through Christ, loved us. And he begins to apply it to all his letters to the Gentiles. Paul helped every Christian contextualize, contextualize it by applying it to everything, including marriage. 
So throughout the New Testament, if we see the New Testament, every one of his commands are linked specifically to Jesus' command to treat the, the other, to treat others the way that I have treated you. For example, in his letter to the Christians living in Ephesus, he applies this command to marriage. Let's read it. Eph- Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. I'm going to read that again. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Is that clear? All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, I'm just kidding. I know lots of people here, here or around the world might think like, man, that's so, such an old school way of thinking. Okay, that sounds kind of sexist to me. But what you're about to hear right now is transformational. And I need you to pay close attention to this. We have to dig a little deeper into, what, into this, this text. So bear with me just a second. Um, our Bibles, as some of you know, or if you don't know, our Bibles are translations of Greek texts. Okay, not just one Greek text, but many Greek texts. They're, they're translation of this. And the, the oldest text, the manuscript of the New Testament, the oldest text of Paul's letters if you took the verse and translated literally, it would say, Ephesians 5.22, the, the Greek translation says, Wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. The word submit is not there. And I know some of you wives are like, great. It, they, they messed up in the translation. But no, let, let, let me explain it. When Paul's audience... Um, read that women were to submit, they responded with, well, duh. We know they got to submit. Tell us something we don't know. And let me explain why. This wasn't a big deal at all to them because for Paul's audience, they had no choice. Women had no choice. And believe it or not, when he said this, no one was offended. The reason being is in the first century audience, who he's writing to here, Men had what we would call patria potestas. And that means basically you, you own your entire family in the same way that you would own your slaves then, you own them. So you could trade them, you could sell them, you can send them to jail. You could do whatever you want with them because in that time you owned them. You had legal ownership. So of course, wives submit wasn't anything special to them. But like any other great author or speaker, he connects with the audience on that common ground. Everyone already knows, just like Jesus. You know Jesus? Remember, he, he spoke in parables. Why? Because that's how he connected with people. That's, like, that's what they knew. That's what they understood. And at this moment, Paul knew that. They already understand that. They already know that. Wives are to submit to their husbands. And that's how he caught their attention. So why, let's go back to the text. Why no verb in the Greek text? Why is submit in the English text then put on, like later put on? Submit is inferred from the previous verse, from the previous verse's common grammatical technique. So this was just a way of, of the technique of, of Greek writing in that moment. So what would happen is they would take the, that verb from the previous sentence. So they didn't have to actually write it out. It was already inferred from before. So you, t- you make a statement with the verb, and then the next sentence, you just infer the verb. There was no u- reason to use it again, and that's how they would write in this particular time of day. 
And here's the game changer. Listen to this. This is the part that's just so important to us because it was so important to them back then. And this really blew their mind because right before he says, wives submit to their husbands, he writes, Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's where he takes the word submit from. Previously, that verse before, to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is what blew their mind because they're like, wait, us men submit to? How does that make sense? We own them. And there it is again. And this is just awesome because anytime the Apostle Paul tells us to do something, he points it back to Jesus. And he does that all through the New Testament. He doesn't point it back to the Old Testament. He doesn't point it back to the commandments. He points it to Jesus. As God, through Christ, has loved you and done something so extraordinary. You are to demonstrate that same kind of love in your relationship with each other, including romantic relationships, including marriage. In other words, submission is mutual. It's mutual. This word reverence, we would equate it to awe, a sense of awe. In light of all that God has done for you, in light of the awe that comes, that wow, you forgave me. You died for my sins. You've forgiven me in spite of myself. And all the times I've gone back on my promises, all those times that I have failed you, you have forgiven me. All that awe is, to not, is not only to be translated simply to church attendance. It isn't to be translated simply to, to, to just coming and worshiping. That energy, all that awe is to be translated into love for other people. Do for one another what Christ has done for you. And as your powerful Savior, leverage his power for your benefit, for my benefit, for all of our benefit. He puts you first ahead of himself, and he died for our sin. He died for your sin. Instead of expecting us to do the same. And this is the way we should live. Place all of our resources, all of our talents, all of our gifts, all of our abilities, and leverage all of me for what benefits you the most just like Jesus did. And this is why Christian marriage is a submission competition. It really is. It's mutual submission. And if you don't remember anything else today, remember this. This makes marriage amazing. This is what makes marriage something awesome. This is what makes relationships amazing. And this is exactly what happy couples know. I'm here for you. I'm going to leverage my power, my influence, my talents, my abilities, and all those resources, but not for my benefit, but for your benefit. Yes, we have different roles, different responsibilities, but not different value. And in the first century, I'm telling you, this this blew their mind when Jesus said this. 
This was completely unbelievable. And this is the first part where Jesus not only came and died for our sins and, and gave us a new life, but he gave worth and value to the woman right then and there with these words. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Place the hopes, dreams, and desires of someone else ahead of your own. And that's the key. Mutual submission. If you want to have an awesome relationship, and I want to take this more than just in marriage and more than just relationships, not just dating, but with friendships. With reaching others for Christ, with reaching the lost, we need to give our life for them. As Christ did for you, Paul said it this way in Philippians, Philippians 2, 5 through 7, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Paul begins his application with what was already accepted, assumed in the male-dominated culture. He started with, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And we can immediately think, you can sit there and think, how many men, we can take a poll, how many men are worth submitting to? And if you take a poll, I'd say that poll would probably be very low. Same, the other way, the same thing, that percentage would be very low. How many women are worth submitting to? But it's not about the other person. It's about what Jesus Christ did for us and how we are to live now because of what he did for us. And if we want to have an amazing marriage, if we want to be able to to have an amazing dating time, if we want to have amazing relationships, it's going to require submission. Ladies, place your husband's hopes, wishes, and dreams ahead of yours. And this is how I'd like to say it. You need to deal out of his box. Men, you need to deal out of her box. That's submission. Not because he expects it, not because she expects it, but because God requests it. And then what comes next is why what came first is so offensive to us. So you can put that slide up there. What comes next is why what came first is so offensive to us. In this day and age, telling a wife to submit it's pretty offensive. But this is why. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. That's a new verb. Husbands, love your wife. It's more proactive. It, it, it requires action. It's all-encompassing. The difference is, for example, submit. Submit means like, Okay, yes, I'm going to do this. You're saying yes to, your, to a request. But this is way bigger. Husbands, love your wives. That requires action. 
It's not just a feeling. It's not like how I feel today or what she did or didn't do. It requires action to love. It means to initiate. Husbands, love your wives just as the two words should inform all our behavior. Just as should inform all our behavior. They define Christian marriage. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And you can probably say, man, hold on there. That didn't turn out too well for Jesus. He had to die. And you're like, man, that doesn't sound too good. But he died for you and me. He died for the church. He died for his bride. And he's still not done. And for the sake of time, let's just jump over to to verse 28. Verse 28 says, In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. And I want to wrap it up with this idea. He who loves his wife loves himself. Because you are one flesh, the Bible says it. You are one flesh. So go back with me real quick again. Equating men and women back in that time was just ridiculous. It didn't exist. It was scandalous. But then that changed. And what comes next is why what came first is so offensive to us again. The reason we bristle at wives submit is because our culture embraces the equality of men and women. And guess whose idea that was initially? Jesus. He even changed the culture. He brought this new idea and he gave women worth something that they they did not have. And even in that time, religious leaders were trying to always trick Jesus, get him to, to say something that wasn't okay with their Jewish traditions and law and, 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 and the commandments. So this particular time, they asked Jesus if they could divorce their wives for any reason or limited reasons. And he said, no reason. You're one. Then he says, go home and take care of her like you do your own body. It was a declaration of equality, a declaration of dignity, of worth and value. So what happened after that? Throughout, the, throughout this time, the women started flocking to Jesus. Something completely different than what they had been grown up in. So not only did they have a savior, not only did they have someone that was, something that they had been waiting for, But immediately, he gave them value. He gave them value, and it was of no surprise when he said, women, submit to your husbands. But after this, he teaches them to submit to one another. And that was the big idea here. And it took the church, and it's probably still taking the church some time to understand this. And in some places, this is still an issue. That women are not equal to men. And in that time, Rome and religion basically declared them as property. But there came Jesus and he declared them as precious. Now let's go back to Paul. What's his point? Men, what is life to you? And that's the question I'm going to ask each one of us men here. What is life to us? 
And no matter what your answer is, and that can be, man, life is, I, I, I got to get up. I got to work. I got to do this. I got ministry. I got to feed my kids. I got to, I got to take a, a hold of my, my life because things are not going well like I thought they would. Or things are going so well, but I have issues in this. Whatever that answer may be. Just put her first. Put her before that. And here's the deal. We cannot submit to one another as long as the expectation box is full. Ladies, you can't love your husbands as long as your expectation box is full. So the question is, how do we empty it? How do we come to this common ground? What's the deal? And Fontaine mentioned this last week. You decide. He doesn't owe me anything, and I don't owe him anything. And it's a decision. You have to decide that nothing is owed to you. And this is where you take that big step of faith, and you say, I owe her everything. And she says, I owe him everything. And it has to be mutual. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what oneness means. Hear me out. His or her best over yours. So here's where to start. You got to ask the question. You got to sit down and ask the question to the other person, to your spouse, and say, What's in your box? What are your hopes, your dreams, your desires? And some of us might be married already one year, five years, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 40, and we might have never have asked this. And ladies, sometimes you might ask this. And the guy might just be like, oh, I don't know. But no matter what their answer is, if you withhold something, something will always be missing in your relationship. So if you don't know this about your spouse, there's always going to be something they're missing. And there's always just going to be a bunch of expectations. And then that's why we feel like, man, we, we, we're not advancing. Or we're not advancing to the rate that we were before. Or things are just stagnant. This is the I'm all in question. It's the less self question. Less self people are happier people. Less self relationships are richer relationships. Let me end with this. If we don't know this, what ends up being that in this box, there's a big rope, like a tug of war rope. And both of us are holding, the the, the man and the wife, holding that rope and pulling for my hopes, my dreams, my aspirations, my my desires. And the tough part is when you're both pulling to be that first one to let go. But that's exactly not exactly what Jesus did for us. He was the first one to let go. He gave his life for us. 
knowing fully well that we were going to make mistake after mistake, that we were going to continue to sin, but he let go and he gave his life for us. So there's no hope until you let go of that rope. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why don't we just close our eyes for a moment? I want to pray. And like I told you just a little bit before, I know we're talking about couples here. I know we're talking about relationships between a man and a wife. But this stuff applies to each one of our relationships. And you younger guys here, middle school kids, high school kids, you have relationships already, but you're going to get to the point where you're going to be looking to marry somebody. And if you understand this first, that marriage is a submission competition, I, I can assure you that your life will be a lot easier. You'll be able to, to reach these goals and, and desires and, and hopes and dreams a lot easier because it's a submission competition. So Lord, we just pray this morning. We just thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you taught us first how to submit. And I just pray this morning for each, each couple here, those that are married, those that have been married or had been married, those that are dating, those that are still single. Lord, I just pray that we just learn this principle and that we learn from you and what it is to, to have a relationship where we submit to each other, where we love each other. Lord, and I pray for those couples specifically that are having problems, that are having troubles, situations. Lord, I just pray that this word, that your word, just reach them exactly where they are. Touch their hearts, their mind, their soul. Lord, I just pray that you do your will in our lives. We thank you so much, Jesus. The band is going to start singing right now, but just as Fontaine does every week, I'm going to stand here to the side. If you need prayer, for whatever reason, whatever it may be, and it doesn't necessarily, be, necessarily mean that if you come for prayers because your, your marriage is in shambles or you're having troubles. It can be that. But if you just, need tr- you just need help getting through something, you just need help getting prayed for, I want to encourage you. Don't be afraid. Just come over. Let's pray. And let's just end this time this morning just giving God the honor and the glory.